how do you find a problem that you're good at solving and then the world once solved and then you can become really good at it and then the better you get at it the more passionate you get you know if you're at work 80 percent of your work is probably solving problems if you're not solving any problems at work that might become a pretty big problem so but this sense of knowing what it is that you do what's your unique ability what is it that it's like i'm really good at this thing and then putting yourself into roles that do that The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Gardner. Hi, Brad. Hi, Tiffany. And today we are joined by someone that is increasingly associated with Indiana Wesleyan University, where Brad and I work, but has quite a rich history prior to joining forces with IWU. So we're joined today by John Qualls. John Qualls is a highly accomplished business leader with a proven track record of success in technology spanning three decades. He currently serves as the CEO and president of Purpose HQ, a talent optimization company based in Indianapolis and 1150 Academy. Throughout his career, John has demonstrated a passion for developing cutting edge technological solutions that drive business growth and profitability. With a deep understanding of the technological trends and cycles that have shaped today's hosted IT environments, he has successfully implemented a range of innovative solutions that have elevated organizations to new heights of success. We're excited about John's purpose-driven leadership and the opportunity to dialogue with him on the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome, John. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here today. Brad is going to kick us off with some getting to know you questions. Brad? We'll we'll start with the easiest one of all. Favorite ice cream flavor? Black walnut. Oh, I bet you no one saw that coming. Black walnut is my favorite. Hard to find sometimes, but it's definitely my favorite ice cream. Oh, amazing. Where do you find black walnut ice cream? Well, I know here in Carmel, Indiana, you can find it handles, but most places you can find it, but maybe I'm just a little rare, but yeah, black walnut. Do you have a a backup flavor? Backup flavor, you know, you can always go with chocolate. (laughs) 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 Well, the next question is favorite way to unwind, but I'm thinking it might be black walnut ice cream, but. No, no, actually. uh, so there's different types of online gaming. There's one called first-person shooters. And that's one of my things I unwind with with some older friends. Uh, <laughs> and we end up with a lot of younger folks there. And then the second thing I'd probably spend more time in is just listening to music outside with my chickens and oh. my rooster, Cluck Norris. And uh, it's just very calming <laughs> to, to sit down with them and and watch Cluck their interaction. Norris. You can learn a lot about watching wow. a flock of chickens about life and leadership. So, <laughs> yeah. So they know a lot about the music from the 80s and they, they don't seem to run. So do they have any favorites? Uh, you know, I, I'd probably say anything to do with Howard Jones. Some people might know who that guy is. Wow. <laughs> I'm showing my age. That is way back. That's way back, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So love that. Yeah. I don't know why, but uh, 1982 was a good year for me. I think they did some science sometime that whenever you were 13, that was like the beginning of your music 
So if you ever want to unwind, go back to whatever music was playing when you were 13 and it'll, uh, it'll speak to you. So anyway, 1982 music wow. seems to resonate for me. So a lot of people will tell you, John, that I'm still 13. So <laughs> that happens for me every single year. You know, I don't know what's <laughs> happened, Brad, but I still think young. Absolutely. I just, my body can't write the checks I can think of anymore. So. And then there are those moments when you look in the mirror and you go, oh, wow, who's that old guy? Yeah, who is that guy? He needs to lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, next question. First of all, do you have a bucket list, a formal bucket list? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I actually was looking at that with my wife the other day, and we had written down kind of like our lifetime goals. And we realized just recently that our lifetime goals were accomplished within eight years of writing them down. <laughs> and so we're actually revisiting what that is. I'm kind of at this point where it's what freedoms do I want? What vision do I have for my future? And what legacy do I want to leave? And it's the legacy piece, I think, that's really on my bucket list right now is what are the things I might be able to do that could make a difference for the future of not only my family, my children, my grandchildren. So that's kind of what's on my list right now. It's not one thing, but it is a mindset of being making a difference. That's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about 13-year-old John, but now we want to talk about 10-year-old John. So what would the 10-year-old John Qualls say to you today? You know, you probably asked me a question like, are you rich? I think where I am. I love that honesty. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think there's a naivety when you're 10 and, and the John at 10 and where he was and his perception of where he could be was probably measured, you know, from a naivety of a 10-year-old thinking of it being around monetary things. Wow, where I am today is, is not miles away, but a universe away from where he is. And maybe the richness of the journey versus the monetary thing. You know, the monetary has been blessed and he would probably be impressed by it, but it's so much more, so much more. I'd probably take him out for some black walnut ice cream. Absolutely. <laughs> You'll get this. I said to my son once, I can't believe the way my life turned out. I just never would have predicted the things that have happened to me that I've been able to do. He was completely puzzled by that observation. But it really is a different journey than we envisioned. It is a different journey. Uh, we might get into this later, but this thing, amore fate, means a lot to me. Love your fate. And to me, loving the fate is about loving the journey. And if you really think about the greatest things of your life that you're most satisfied with, it is the great struggles that you got through with others. I like to say we suffer alone and we struggle together. And struggle is where the great life is and the great journey. And that's the part, particularly as I get here, maybe the back night of my life, I'm so much appreciative of loving, seeing struggle as so much as an opportunity versus curse. And also to be able to move into the struggles of other people and walk alongside them. And give them a perspective, right? So a lot of times they're suffering alone. And then you just say, hey, why don't we just struggle here together? And, and all of a sudden, it's, things look different for them, right? I have a feeling, John, that's kind of a mantra with you. Yeah, it's definitely become a huge part of the last 10 years. There's nothing like the ability to put something in place that touches people 
Yeah, it's just, I've kind of got that bug. I think I used to think leadership was a move. Now I understand it's a movement and the transition. I wish I could have got there earlier, but I'm so appreciative of where I am. <laughs> Amen. Okay, last question. And this is probably the question our listeners are going to want to know most. If you had a warning label, what would it say? Seatbelt required. <laughs> it's probably, you know, I have a another thing at other company I have, and there's a thing around psychometrics. And I'm kind of like a car with the, the gas all the way to the floor. And there's no seatbelts in a way, right? There's no brakes. And so when you have a car with all gas and no brakes, it could be exhilarating ride but also be terrifying at times. So I know I come in sometimes with a lot of intensity and I've come to embrace that. But I think those around me, I think a lot of people, uh, I just like to work with you for a little bit. <laughs> just a few times around the lap, around the track, please. But uh, yeah, so it's good. But um, So is that intensity something you've always had? Seem, as you mentioned, the last 10 years, focusing it in a particular direction. But have you always had that intensity to do things and get things done? Absolutely. I like to, we've been talking about a thing called apprenticeships. I've been wanting to call them do it ships, but, but I've always said I had a bias for action, even as a teenager, and then joined the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps allowed me to kind of focus that and amplify this sense of making a decision, doing something, go, let's go. You know, the worst thing you can do is make a decision and move forward and adjust. So, yeah, so I've always had that drive. I think the other piece is just, even when it's tough, I always believe that tomorrow we can just make it one inch better. So even then when the downtimes, it's like, well, you know, somehow we're going to get the one inch better and just keep, keep pushing. I love your perspective. And now we know why you and your wife met your life goals in eight years instead of a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, well, she's, she's a tremendous compliment and 32 years married, 36 Wonderful. years together. Wow. And Good for uh, you. it's just been such a blessing as the greatest sales job I ever did in my life. <laughs> I'm punching way over my weight class there. Uh, she's amazing. Very good. So John, what were the roots of the 1150 Academy and what is the meaning behind the name? Yeah. So it actually got started by an entrepreneur named Scott Jones. And he's kind of been a serial entrepreneur. And one of the companies he had, some might remember this, was called Cha-Cha, right? And this is where you could text questions and then they would come back. It was human-powered search, I think they called it. And it was failing. And it was failing because he couldn't find people who could write applications for the mobile phone, which was really, you know, the smartphone was exploding right in the middle of this organization's kind of stand-up. And... He said, I, I just, I can't seem to find any talent and it's not coming out of traditional higher ed because the tools are moving faster than the curriculum is in higher ed. So he said, well, I want to take my top engineers and see if we can go find some people and teach them how to do this work. And so he started it actually at his house in Carmel, Indiana. And the address is 1150 West 116th Street. So, so <laughs> they were putting the name together. They just called it 1150. Funny fact, I actually live next door to 1150 West <laughs> at 1020. So I actually bought the house next door. But that's where it started in a theater in his, his place. 
So it got kind of started. And then uh, I was coming off of a, a company that I had done called Blue Lock. And I had lunch with him. And he said, what are you up to? And I said, well, I was going to take a break. And he said, well, I'm doing this thing, this like academy that teaches people how to write software. And I was like, oh, wow, that's been such a challenge is finding tech people. And he goes, well, you know, you should come by and sit in one time. I said, sure, I'll come in and sit in. Right now, you got to remember, I, my wife had thought I was going to take a six month sabbatical, but I took, a, <laughs> I took the weekend. I sat in that class and I was like, I, all I could just imagine of all the different things you could do. And for some might know, I was in the Marine Corps, so I kind of know a little bit about boot camps. I'm also a second Don uh, black belt. So there's this sense of, of belts and things. So a lot of people who look at 1150 Academy today from a boot camp standpoint and our badging system, it's kind of a mixture of the Marine Corps boot camp experience and getting your black belt. It's, that was my influence on it. So that's 1150 Academy, really about closing the tech gap. And then over time, as we continue to refine that and have just tremendous outcomes, we expand that into cybersecurity and other things. So it'll be, it's been about nine years now. So it's been amazing how fast it's gone. All right, John, your LinkedIn page describes you as a world purpose maker. Can you tell us more about that? Actually, as you know, I actually ran 1150 Academy before. And the bug I kind of got was that there are so many people struggling with purpose and really trying to understand what purpose is. And if you, I really think of purpose as being that wind behind you that kind of gets into your sails and, and pushes you through the great struggle. And so this, I really wanted to, to sit down and say, what is purpose and what is purpose? And I'd say right now, emphasis of purpose around work is such a big part of our lives. And so this idea of what is purpose and it really kind of boiled it down to getting these five things to work correctly for you. You know, there's your purpose of your life and the purpose of work and you can get those things close, right? But uh, here are the five things that, from a world purpose maker, I'm always thinking not only of, for myself, but for others. So here are the five things. The first thing is, is are you doing what it is that you do and really understanding, investing in the journey of understanding, like, what is it that you do? You know, a lot of times we tell young people to chase their passions. I'm not one of those. I'm kind of like, why don't you find a problem that you're good at solving and then the world wants solved and then you can become really good at it. And then the better you get at it, the more passionate you get. You know, if you're at work, 80% of your work is probably solving problems. If you're not solving any problems at work, that might become a pretty big problem. So, but this sense of knowing what it is that you do, what's your unique ability? What is it that it's like, I'm really good at this thing. And then putting yourself into roles that do that. The, the second thing is really, if it's what you do, the second thing is, is how is it that I do what I do? I mean, what is like, what's your style, how you operate? And that's also a journey of knowing what it is that works for you. I watched today, you know, we struggle with the pandemic and people being at home and then trying to get back into work. And you know, that's part of this style is you work better alone with others. You know, how do you make decisions? What does culture look like around you? And I think a challenge today in the workforce for employers is giving people an environment where their style and the style needed for the organization 
is a great alignment, right? So what you do, the second one is how do you do it? You know, how's the, how do you do the thing you do? The third one is why, right? It's, I'm so much in love with the why and us getting more focused on what your why is. But this is right, what's the reward in what you do? And so often we get lost in the jingle in the pocket and we forget about the tingle in the heart and really putting yourself in a role of a problem that you really care about and it speaks to your heart. And, you know, we also have obligations. So, you know, there's the jingle is important. I would say in my career as I've gotten older, the ratio between tingle and jingle has changed. You know, early on, I was very focused on that jingle piece, but, but now the tingle and the impact. So what you do, how you do it, why you do it. The fourth one is kind of, what do you need to do to master your craft? And so really understanding what your craft is and, and growing your skills, just being a master of your craft and, and finding new capabilities and challenging yourself. It's really about lifelong learning. And I think we'll like to talk more about this of higher education's role in being involved in the whole journey and not just a, a little two or four year stint. But that fourth one is really understanding what skills that you need to master your craft, which all comes down to, I think, a theme that we've had already is that the fifth thing is where are you going? Where is your journey? So what are you doing? How do you do it? Why are you doing it? How are you going to master it? And where are you going? And this really comes down to, you know, when we think about work as, you know, things like titles and the autonomy that you have and the authority that you get and what ecosystem you're working in and what stage that you're operating on, that's important. And you should be looking at that, you know, and managing your journey, your work journey, as well as your life journey. But when those five things are working, and a lot of these problems we see with people kind of being lost or not engaged or not understanding and when those things are all working, you're in a great place. And when they're not working, you know, you can just kind of say, okay, what do I need to do to change that? So I could talk a lot about this particular topic, but world purpose maker to me was what can I do that might put purpose into individuals at work on this big journey, right? I mean, it's just such a huge part of your life is, is work and work is a struggle, but struggling with others, I mean, that's that's to me when it can be really, really good and things that you're most proud of. John, what led you to this passion you have for purpose? You know, my uh, first time around at 1150 Academy, problem we were trying to solve was closing this tech gap. But the more I leaned into it, it really wasn't about the technology. It was about the people. And uh, I have a ton of these conversations, but I try not to get emotional. I've never cried more. <laughs> you know, uh, serving others than any other time in my career, other work. But I always like to tell this story. We, uh, we had a, a young person who came into our, our program. And I should say young person, probably 20, 29 years old. But um, <laughs> someone's coming to our program. And one of the things that we do is we try to give them a fast no, if this is not their journey, if it's just not a good fit. And so in the beginning, after two weeks, we kind of give them a very honest, direct assessment of what we have observed, where they think things they need to do improve. So this person was wicked smart, but also very abrasive. I think, you know, some folks would call him a pirate because he looked like a pirate, talked like a pirate, you know, nothing wrong necessarily with that. But we kind of gave him this feedback. We're not sure, while you may know the material, we're not sure if you're going to be hireable. 
we used to do this on Fridays and I'd always try to take the instructors out for lunch on Fridays because it would just tear them up. You know, because when you when you give this feedback, it's so direct and, and honest, right? It costs you to give it because you can see the reaction it has in a person. So, you know, this person, you know, to say the, the little flutter into their eyes of, of embarrassment and shame and things of that nature. And so, you know, they went away that weekend. They came back the next Monday and I'm supposed to say, oh, and they were the number one person in the class. And, and they weren't, but they were in the top 20%. But they really changed their attitude, a, a haircut. They weren't the person who knew all the answers, even though they were very bright, more collaborative. I tell that story because at graduation, he came up to me and he's emotional. He had his fiance with him, which I didn't even know he had a fiance. And he just wanted to thank us for what we had done. I said, you know, it wasn't me. It was the, the instructors. And there was a lot of tears. And, and at the end of the day, he just said, you know, no one actually cared enough to just tell me. Right? And so that's, uh, that's really kind of what got me into how can we find a way to just give that care enough to give them the feedback, put them on the right path, and then see where that goes. So that's really kind of and I think it's been not just my first time around at 1150 Academy, but throughout my career as a leader, you know, there's the words of leadership and then there's the actually believing it. And I think I'm a relatively bright person and I probably fell in love with all the tactics, but it took a long time to, to learn the intention. And all that's grounded in good relationships. Yeah, good, good relationships, knowing what a good relationship is, right? Boundaries, it's, it's important. We're going to pause here, but we'll be back next week with part two with John Qualls. In the meantime, please like and share the Digital to Learn podcast. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.